0: Well, today I'm excited to introduce our guest speaker. Uh, Lowell Burrier has been a staple at Calvary Chapel South for many years. He's a gifted teacher. He leads one of the best. Well, I shouldn't say that. I think it's one of the best, but um, small groups. He leads a great small group uh, in Auburn, and uh, we love and appreciate you, Lowell. He's, he's got a message on his heart that he was preparing. God was speaking to him even before he was asked to teach. So would you welcome Lowell Burrier today? Thank you, Garrett. Yeah. Good morning. I'm teaching from some of the worst notes I've ever put together. And so bear with me if this turns out it's a miracle and we believe in miracles. I told my wife it looks like a nice two-hour message and she said, well, have a good time. I'm leaving at 1030 with everybody else. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I just want to share from four verses. First Samuel chapter 17, verses 1 through 4. <clears throat> now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and they camped between Soko and Azekah in the Ethaz Damim. And Saul and and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah. And they drew up in battle array to encounter the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you today. We pray that you would speak to our hearts and touch people here today, Lord, with your love and with your truth. We, Lord, are um, here because we need you. We are here because we love you. We are here because we care for this world and we care for the lives of people. We desire, Lord, to be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. And so, Jesus, we we bow before you. We just thank you for your presence. What a blessing it is. In your name, amen. Yeah, there went the notes. Thank you, Garrett. Good job, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. We just covered this in home group, and so I kind of credit them with a lot of the research. We're going to be looking at a battlefield. It's kind of west of Jerusalem. I talked to Greg Parker this morning. He and Pastor Kevin just got back from a tour of the battlefields in Israel, and they didn't go to the Valley of Elah, but he knows where it is. And and, uh, this is the setting of... The passage today, the Philistines, the perennial enemies of Israel, have come again and camped against the people of Israel. And uh, today, many times, people develop the attitude, well, let's just live and let live. But there's only one way to get along with Philistines. They will be your master, and and you will be their slave. It's the only nature of that relationship that will ever work out and there is no way to leave them alone because they come and camp in your place and bring the battle to you the parallel here is the world in which we live the fallen world the Bible uses the same word to mean two things in the New Testament cosmos meaning the created world the beautiful globe that declares the glory of God and then the fallen realm of mankind under the tutelage of Satan and his host. That corrupt system that is so evident today. The Apostle Paul writing to the Romans in chapter 6 verses 16 to 18. He, says, he speaks of this. He says, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience... You are slaves to the one whom you obey, either sin resulting in death or an obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became committed and you have become obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Notice, we will be servants. No matter which scenario we choose, we we will be servants and slaves to sin or we will be servants and slaves to righteousness. One of the two. And people say, well, I'm just a free spirit. No, you're not. You're a spirit in bondage. Deceived into thinking that you are free. On this battlefield, there are three positions. And I want you to find yourself on this battlefield in your own heart as we go through these things and just ask, where do I stand? The first position is Soko. We saw that in in verse 1. The Philistines gathered their armies for battle and they gathered to Soko. It's a hill. Um, We have a picture of that valley, I believe, that we can show you looking across the Elah Valley to that is Soko on the far side. That's where the... Israelite, where the Philistines were camped, this picture is taken from the hill where the Israelites were. And so there's Soko where the Philistines are camped, and then there's Israel's hill across the valley where the armies of Israel under Saul were gathered, and then there's the great valley in between, Elah. An interesting thing here as we look at this passage In verse 2, we're told that Israel camps in Elah. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array to encounter the Philistines. So they're in the valley, the Philistines are camped on their land, on Soko. And the next verse says, And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side. What happened that they got out of the valley? Verse 4 tells us. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath. He walked into the valley. Israel went up on the hill. And so there are three positions here. There's Soco, the camp of the Philistines. There's Israel's hill. And then the valley of Elah. First, let's look at Soco, where the Philistines are camped. Verse 1 tells us it belongs to Judah. Evil will always try to camp on your land and encroach on your life. It will not leave you alone. And there is no point in our life where we have come to the point of maturity that sin doesn't bother me anymore. It will always be coming in. It belongs to Judah. They camped, the people from Ekron and Gath, the Philistines, The thing that's important to understand here, and we have to go back in context, Context, and I'm not going to elaborate on it extensively, but in context, in 1 Samuel 14, Saul is camped under his pomegranate tree with 600 men against him, and the Philistines are encamped against them again. <clears throat> Jonathan and his armor bearer are not under the pomegranate tree, they're out in the field, and Jonathan says to his armor-bearer, let's go up. God is a God of victory, and he, he and the armor-bearer scramble up. I'm abbreviating it greatly. He goes up, and they kill 20 men of the Philistines. And the Philistines are routed. And we're told in 1 Samuel 14 that Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and came to the, to the battle. And behold, every man's sword was against his fellow, and there was a very great confusion. Now the Hebrews, were with the, who were with the Philistines previously, who went up with them all around the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites, who were with Saul and Jonathan. When all the men of Israel, who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim, heard that the Philistines had fled, even they that day, even they also pursued them closely in the battle. So the Lord delivered Israel that day, and the battle spread beyond Beth Avon. The thing that strikes me there, that, that just astonishes me, is Jonathan and his armor bearer by themselves go against the Philistines. There's a victory, incidentally. There are no small victories, amen? There are no small victories. 20 men. And the people of Israel join in the battle at that point, but we're told here that the Hebrews who were with the Philistines previously, they are with the Philistines. And here on the hill of Soco, There are, it's interesting, it says the Hebrews who were with the Philistines. It doesn't say the Israelites. Very different meaning. There are Hebrews. Many scholars believe the word that's translated for Hebrews is an ancient word which means to cross over. In other words, they had made the choice to be God's people. They had crossed over. They had come to salvation. They had identified with God. They were Hebrews, but they're camped with the Philistines. Melting in, fitting in, hanging with the Philistines. No apparent difference to look at them. Soko means hedges. And it perhaps means to hedge in or entwine and shut in. And many Christians are hedged in and twined, shut in, because they're sleeping with the enemy. They believe there's security and compromise. Can't we all just get along in this world? The answer is no. The answer is no. Christians comfortable with the world. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer in John 17, verses 14 to 16, said... Praying to the Father, he says, I have given them, these disciples, he says, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them. It will always be that way. The world has hated them because they are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, even as I am not of the world. Jesus prayed for us that we would not be of the world, like the world, fitting in, identifiable from the world's perspective with no distinction apparent. Not of the world. When we come to Christ, we're saved, and the process is that we're to be saved and become children of God And in the course of our walk and discipleship, we're sanctified and we become like Jesus and we become transformed in our nature. And then as a result of that, we become functional and fruitful and productive and a benefit to someone else besides ourselves. Satan cannot take our salvation, but he can neutralize our effectiveness so that we're no more a threat. And I just want to point out, the one reason that you are alive, Christian, is for other people. You're going to heaven. And so the purpose of our life is is measurable in terms of the benefit to other people. Today, the theme song is tolerance. Appeasement of the world. We have expressions, and I hear people use it. It's all good. And I want to scream, no, it's not. It's not all good. And, and we use the term affirming people. Oh, I affirm you. What that means is I approve of your perversity. And I approve of corruption. It doesn't make any difference to me. I fear that many times we're blessing people to hell. What a tragedy. When I was a kid, used to, some of you may be old enough to have seen it, the three monkeys hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. It's just a, you know, I'm oblivious to it. It's okay. We need to be reminded the world is under judgment. Certain judgment. The Philistines were under the ban. That was determined by God, not by Israel. Their days are numbered. And, you know, through the years I've had people say, well, I like the Old Testament, but the Old Testament bothers me because it's so bloody, bloody, you know, to put it in a British form. And they're always killing people. And it just seems so gruesome. And so I ask the question, how are we to kill people? How does this relate to us? Does this mean that we should all arm ourselves and get ready to go out there and settle the score? I don't believe so. Jesus said, he who lives by the sword dies by the sword. Pastor Kevin touched on this week. I want to point out two deaths. There are two judgments. And Pastor Kevin pointed out the two resurrections. There are two deaths. First of all, the, the death that we want to bring about in people is death to self, the death of baptism, where we die with Christ and we're raised to walk in newness of life. People need to be saved. We don't, we're not here to improve pagans. We're here to save sinners. And the death that we want to bring about is in the baptistry of burial, And raising a person to live for Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. The other death is hell, eternal hell. It is a tragedy. God is not willing that any man should perish, God does not send anybody to hell. There are two judgments the cross. Of Jesus Christ is a judgment he took our sin upon himself God Jesus prayed in the garden if it be possible let this cup pass from me it was not possible sin had to be atoned for it had to be dealt with a holy God can't just say oh that's okay nobody's perfect we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God and our sin had to be dealt with in Jesus died on the cross for us the judgment of god upon sin on our behalf the other judgment is a great white throne in revelation chapter 20 that results in a lake that burns with fire the measurement of that judgment is upon works you're either saved by grace or you're doomed by your works there is no in between and then there are two resurrections The first resurrection is to life and glory. Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha. Raised to glory. The second resurrection is one to judgment before the great white throne of of judgment. And all mankind, wherever they may be, in the depths of the sea or in the heights of the mountains, all mankind will be raised and brought before the great white throne of judgment. Those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life go to glory. Those whose works are written in the books go to eternal perdition. Eternal perdition. Not a jail sentence of two years. Eternal hell. And there are two judgments. There are two deaths. There are two resurrections. In Matthew ten twenty-eight. Jesus said, do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And those in Soko. In the camp of the Philistines, who are indistinguishable from the Philistines. The Lord says, get out in 2 Corinthians 6:17. Paul writes, Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. Get out of Silco, leave at once. In Revelation 18:4. John writes, I heard a voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive her plagues. Come out is the clear word. And if you are living a life that's compromised with the world and it's all good and, and, you know, the tolerant person, you need to get out of SoCo. Christians comfortable in the world. I I just want to take a minute and talk about something. I I hope I do not bother people in their eschatology form, firm opinions, and and I just want to suggest something. The book of Revelation talks about the mark of the beast. And, And people speculate as to what that is, and I'm not going to do that. But I do want to just Observe that the mark of the beast is on the forehead and the right hand. And I can tell you without any doubt the manifestation of the mark of the beast. I can't tell you what the mark looks like, I don't want to go into that. The manifestation is when a person thinks like the world and acts like the world. The forehead in the ancient world was a center of thought, our worldview, our, our perception of life, and the right hand was Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. It is that which is accomplished through our lives. It's interesting that when David shows up and kills Goliath, where does the stone hit him? The problem with Goliath was right here. That was his vulnerable point. And this world, because of its perception right here, not believing in God, do your own thing. And all the perverse things that are propagated in this world today, the weak point is right here. And the weapon is the word of God. Secondly, I want to take you to Israel's hill. Israel's hill. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, while Israel... Stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley in between. Originally they camped in the valley, and as I pointed out, they they escaped to the hill. Elah means terebinth or oak or st- strong tree. They lost the strength to stand and they fled. They, they lost their strength. The giant, Goliath. The Anakim were the reason that Israel did not enter Canaan. I like to liken Israel's hill to what the church is in in many ways today. We hold the right affiliation, we hold the right beliefs, we have good intentions, our purposes, our agendas, our programs. We have the right perspective. Sin will kill you and you need a savior. I, I have a sense that for every believer in the church today, there are many in SoCo who are just in the world. They have believed in Jesus somehow. They've heard the gospel and they've accepted Christ. They're not in fellowship. They're not growing. They're not being caught. Today... <clears throat> I just want to go through a few things and I want to be very careful how I do this so that I'm not taken wrong. But the church today is a place where Christianity is practiced. We go to church. It's our hill. We have, you know, in the past they talk about clergy and laity. We have clergy, the We have professionals to do the ministry. And as laity, many times people see themselves as spectators watching the pros. I attended a fellowship when I was going to school in Massachusetts. I went to a fellowship in Lexington, Mass. And they had a fellow in that church who was just an on-fire evangelist, witnessing and ministering to people and, and orchestrating ministries, reaching many, many people. Large church, growing like crazy. He came from a church across the street I won't mention the denomination. He was going to that church. He became a believer, and his heart was on fire to share the gospel. He went to the pastor, and he said, can I go out and share the gospel? And the pastor said, no, 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 no. The professionals will do that. We want you to stay in the pew, pay your tithe, and we will do the ministry. And that's the attitude of many. Let somebody else do it. We many times are defensive, trying to keep the world out of the church and to keep the church out of the world. We finance organizations to reach the world. Saul's, and Saul's offer here is really interesting. <clears throat> he wanted someone to fight his battle. In, in 1 Samuel 17.25, they're telling David, it will be that he who kills Uh, It will be that the king will enrich the man who kills Goliath with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is the uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? and the people answered him according with the word saying thus it will be done for the man who kills him three times david hears that he's astonished you mean you're going to pay me to do that that guy's a sitting duck and his brothers scorn him no taxes great money and the king's daughter, have it made. We need to understand ministry. Our pastor and the staff of this ministry is not here to do ministry for us. They are here to equip us to do ministry out there. And they do it well. I am thankful for this fellowship. You guys do a marvelous job. In 1 Samuel 1720, we see what is many times the picture of the church. <clears throat> Gotta change my awkward notes. First 1 Samuel 1720. So David arose early in the morning and left the flock with the keeper. And he took the supplies, the supplies his father had given him. And he went as Jesse, his father, had commanded him. And he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out in battle array, shouting the war cry. They were all clothed. They went out in battle array. They were all ready to take on the enemy. But they never got off the hill. It never got off the hill. Many times we, you know, Ephesians chapter 6, we clothe ourselves in the armor of God and we go home and we watch TV. We equip ourselves and we walk past opportunity upon opportunity upon opportunity for ministry. We say nothing, we do nothing, we see nothing. Just silent. We're good at shouting the war cry. But the camp of Israel didn't leave their hill. We got to get off the hill and into the valley. A good friend of mine, who is a retired IBM executive, used to say this when all is said and done, more is said than done. And we have to take our faith beyond talks, beyond talk, beyond words, beyond sermons to action. Until then, there are no results. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus and the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, up there, and they see Christ in all of his glory. And we do that here, and what a wonderful time it is to gather, and the worship team bring us into the throne room of God, and we open the word of God and experience the presence of the Lord. Peter wanted to build tents and camp out there. I love mountaintops. I love the presence of God. I love the joy and the fullness of fellowship. But Jesus took him back to the valley. Because it's in the valley where the ministry is carried out. Jesus in the Great Commission in Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, 18 said, Go into all the world and make disciples. He said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. That word go means as you go in the natural outliving of our lives. We carry the the love of Jesus Christ into the lives of people. When we walk from this building, we walk into ministry and mission. It's where it's at. We either hide in the hedges or we enter the valley to see God glorified. Pastor Kevin shared last week and he shared in my presence several times that he feels God is calling him to go where he's never been before. I have that same sense within me. I have that and many of you have that same sense that God is stirring something up and that he has something in our future and our hearts need to be willing to step into it and take the risk and go into that valley. David went into the valley. And so we arrive at Elah, the valley. Finally, I guess this won't be two hours after all. We come to the valley and of course, Goliath is there. Little thing I jotted down and I firmly believe it's true. The greatness of the victory is measured by the level of the opposition. The greatness of the victory is measured by the level of the opposition. And we pray, God, make my life easy. God, take away my problems. God, why is this happening to me? It's God calling us to stand in him and to trust him. And see him victorious in our lives. Nothing is impossible with God. Last weekend, we saw a young man in a football game, Patrick Mahomes, in our home group. I mentioned this. Mark McConaughey was sitting there. I don't care. doesn't like sports. But Mark, I need a sermon illustration, please. Is it okay? This young guy. I never. I'm not a sports fan either. And I didn't get to see the last half of the game. We do an outreach on Sunday nights, but I got caught up on it. This young kid, three years in the pros. He does best when he's 20 points behind and he has two 320-pound linemen stomping down his back. And he can get a pass to anybody. It's just incredible. The greater the opposition, the better he does. The worse the circumstance, the more he shines. That's us. We're behind. Amen? We're behind. The world is trying to take over our nation. It's trying to take over the nations of the world, but there are those standing in China and, and in many parts of the world, in this nation, who are saying, no, you're not. And standing for God and standing for righteousness and speaking the truth in love. David went into the valley I asked in our home group, who does David represent? In other words, where do we fit into this? Am I David? Kathy McSinka spoke up and said, David is the son of David, Jesus, and we follow him into the valley. He goes before us. There is nowhere that you will be in your life except the Lord has been there before you, and he will get you through it, and he is faithful I hear people say, well, I was born in a God-forsaken place. No, you weren't. There is no such thing. Read 139th Psalm, the depths of the sea, the highest place, the east, the west, wherever you go, God is there. He is there. And whatever you're experiencing right now, God is there. The Lord is standing with you. Trust in him. He has gone into your valley. And he has prevailed. He has struck the center of the perverted thought and he has severed the head and he has conquered the enemy on your behalf. And you can trust him. He is there with you. We follow him. He goes before us. Jesus said, take up your cross and go to church. No, 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 no. He said, Take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross, Christian. Follow Jesus into the valley. There are opportunities all around us, everywhere. There are people who are crying out, Under, on the surface they look antagonistic to faith. And maybe when you share with them, they're antagonistic. But the, the, the stronger the resistance, the deeper the, the penetration of the truth that you are speaking. Do not stop. Cheryl and I, two nights a week, I've been invited to do Bible studies in senior communities. There are people that come in from the outside and Greg does the same and <clears throat> people come in and they hear the word. There are people there who have been in church all their life, never came to know Jesus, never been taught. A Very fruitful ministry. There are opportunities everywhere. Turn the TV off. Make time available. What it takes is two things, a Bible and time. Can you read the Bible? Do it. Go into the valley. We are very blessed people. As Christians, we're part of a church that stood against the Roman Empire who that brutalized and sacrificed Christians in multitudes. People try to minimize it. Oh, it was a couple hundred people. They used to light the Appian Way with Christians who had been crucified, doused, and pitched, and torched. They could not quench the church, no matter how intense the persecution. And in 400 years, the early church reached the entire civilized world with none of the accoutrements that we call church. We're standing in the midst of the greatest opportunity in history. I believe that there could be the greatest ingathering in the history of the church right before us. Jesus said the fields are white for harvest. As Americans, we're privileged to be a part of a nation that stood against the greatest world empire in the history of the world. The sun never set on the, on the British Empire. Fought two battles. Men with squir- squirrel rifles against professional mercenaries defeated the greatest empire in the world to establish this nation and the foundation of this nation is being eroded by lies and corruption and deceit. We need to stand. Every generation before us has fought. Tag, you're it. It's our turn. We are so blessed and so privileged, but we can't drop our weapons. The Bible tells us about those weapons in Isaiah 54. Very familiar passage. It says in righteousness. You will be established. You will be far from oppression for you will not fear. And from terror for it will not come near you. If anyone if anyone fiercely assails you. It will not be for me. Whoever assails you will fall because of you. He says, Behold, I myself have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and brings out the weapon of his work. I have created the destroyer to ruin. No weapon, no weapon that is formed against you will prosper. Every tongue that accuses you in judgment you will condemn. This is the heritage Of the servants of the Lord. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. This is what you have inherited. And their vindication is from me declares the Lord. God will protect you. But there is no protection if you just stay on the hill. Reading on in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 7. The Apostle Paul writes, and he speaks of our weapons. Isaiah spoke of our defense. Paul speaks of our weapons. He says, though we walk in the flesh, that's weakness, we're flesh. We walk in the flesh. We do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses, We're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. We're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Taking every thought captive through obedience to Christ. We do not go. When I was a young man, I was studying to be a veterinarian. the course of that time god called me into the ministry and i went and did the bible college and the seminary and all this stuff and my mom and dad would proudly say my son is in the ministry maybe you heard of the old rooster who was in the presence of a pastor (laughs) and uh, pastor was bragging about his kid who had gone into the ministry the old rooster said yeah i have many sons in the ministry The joke is, preachers like to eat chicken. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) He had many sons in the ministry. We don't go into the ministry. The ministry has gone into us. The ministry has gone into us. As many as receive Christ, receive the Holy Spirit. And as many as receive the Holy Spirit, receive gifts of the Holy Spirit. All of those gifts, save one, is for ministering to someone besides yourself. They're not given to you to dazzle yourself with your great importance. They're given to you so you can be a blessing to someone else. The ministry is in you. Fulfill your ministry. We need to take it to the valley. David saw Goliath, and he saw an opportunity for God to be glorified. He's like, I can't believe how lucky I am. I just can't believe it. And went into that valley with five stones. In Colossians 4, Paul writing to the Colossian church singles out one individual, Archippus, Archippus. He says to Archippus, you can put your own name in there. Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. Take heed to that ministry. God has equipped you. Fulfill it. And then writing to his beloved son, Timothy, he said, but you be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. There it is. Fulfill your ministry. Means bring it into reality. Take it to the valley. Express it. Do not hide it under a bushel. Do not bury it until the Lord comes. Fulfill your ministry. The fields are white for harvest, friends. We're living in a time of great opportunity. Many times we focus on the giants, political oppression, broken relationships, personal failure and disappointments, losses and sorrow, weaknesses and limitations, all kinds of things. We, we all have those. But the fields are white for harvest. It's time to get into the valley to get off our hill. And to move forward. Simply look for people who need a touch. I My prayer this morning. I'm not going to focus on a big prayer time. Or anything like the, that. I want you in your own heart. Just to determine this week. Lord show me. Show me the opportunities out there. In my life. Do not let me walk past those. Those encounters that. That you are bringing my way. Those people. Those those open doors that I can step into to serve you. Let me see them. And I want to step into those opportunities that you bring to me. And so if the worship team will be coming forward, I want to spend some moments in prayer with you. I want us to prepare our hearts for what God is going to bring our way. God's God of surprises. <clears throat> I go through life, kind of yada, 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 you know, walked in the door last Sunday, Pastor Kevin says, "Lol, come here. Next week, will you preach? Same is happening to you. God is saying, you, come here. I got something for you to do. I want you to be ready. I want you to respond I want you to go into the valley I want you to follow me Jesus says and trust me and see what I can do through your humble life and so father we come to you Sophia read this morning Romans chapter 12 we come to you as living sacrifices this is our appropriate worship of you, Lord our very lives lead us from the hill lord we want to go into that valley to see you glorified through our humble lives we are yours we confess that we are weak we confess that we're fearful we confess that we are afraid of of becoming uncomfortable or losing some of the 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 pleasures that we have in life that are so inferior to the pleasure of serving you. I pray for every person here. And Lord, right now, I want to pray for the person who has not crossed over, who has not come to faith in you. And Jesus, I pray that you would stir their heart, that you would show them your love, that you would draw them to yourself. And Jesus, in the quietness of their own heart, that they would say, yes, Lord going to trust you I'm a slave to sin I want to be your servant so father we entrust our lives and the ministry that you have given each of us and all of us into your hands be glorified we pray in your name Jesus amen